Hello, beautiful listeners. It's Rob with Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. We know you love the stories we tell, and we love telling them. However, producing and hosting the podcast is not free, but there's a way you can help. Find us on Patreon. Our Patreon members get access to exclusive content, early episode releases, and all other sorts of goodies. Go to www.patreon.com slash trrpod for as little as a buck a month. Every cent we take in goes back to making the show bigger and better. Thank you, we love you, and as always, hold fast and enjoy the show. Gentlemen, before we get started today, I want to I, I want to go over one thing. Given our chosen subject matter for this episode, I want to look at all of you in this room. This collection, not that many people. This collection, this like collection of dog. white boys, and, and one and one golden dog. That's God. Even the dog's like kind of white. He's pretty white. <laughs> I want to lay this rat down right now. No accents. <laughs> Hey, listen. We cannot do that. You're the accent guy here. I know I'm the accent guy. I'm saying this as much for myself as I am for you guys. I want to be clear about this. Let's make sure. No accents. We're we're doing this one after Jerry Lee Lewis died. (laughs) Oh, God. We all saw that picture. Mickey Rooney. Well, yeah, I was going to say after Mickey Rooney died. Who's who's the more offensive? Oh, Mickey Rooney. Rooney's was real bad. Absolutely, Mickey Rooney. I mean, nothing says tasteful quite like whenever Jerry Lee Lewis did it. <laughs> but yeah, you won't you won't be getting that from us. No, not not no, from that. No Although my, my favorite Mickey Rooney story related to the material we're covering today, he used to tell stories to people about how he quote fucked his way across China with Red Grange. Oh God! <laughs> so you got Mickey Rooney and the Galloping Ghost on a sex oh. tour of China in the 1930s. That's oh, dear God. That's an image. I oh god oh shit we're live I just realized that okay um, I'm not redoing this <laughs> no I, I I know I know uh, so we're just gonna take our lumps on that and say welcome to Thieves Rogues and Renegades everybody I'm Rob North I am your co-host Chris Miller I am Kyle Graper uh, it's just the three of us today uh, Michael Lernett's not here we've had some scheduling issues and uh, it's trying to get a group of people in their 30s and 40s together in a room it's not easy it's not easy and we don't get paid for this who all have disparate schedules to begin with until we get our sweet sweet Spotify money that is true that is true but uh, and you can help with that we'll go over that later at the end <laughs> of the episode uh, so we are uh, going to be covering today the story of Madame Ching Shi Madame Ching Shi the Pirate Empress of China. Um, we uh, Today we explore the story of one of the most powerful women to ever exert control over the seas. So while the story of pirate history is dominated by men, women do play their part. And while history is full of stories like those who took to the seas like Mary, of those who took to the seas like Mary Reed and Anne Bonny, or those who controlled piracy operations like Elizabeth I of England or her Irish counterpart Grace O'Malley, none of the stories compares in scale and accomplishment to that of Ching Shi. Also known to history as uh, Zheng Yi Sao, Shi Zheng Gu, or simply Madame Ching. Now, if Elizabeth I was the pirate queen, sending smatterings of ships full of her sea dogs to steal from the Spanish, then Ching Shou was nothing short of a pirate empress, who rose from obscurity to find herself in command of quite possibly the largest known pirate fleet ever to assemble in history. Yeah, this is without question the most prolific pirate that I can almost guarantee you've never heard of. Yeah. Yeah, 
And now she defied the strictures of a patrilineal society, defied the will of the world's most populous nation, before turning around and becoming one of its major power brokers. She stood up as a counter to encroaching European imperialism, and after all this, managed to still go on to a long life and a peaceful retirement. An outcome that eluded most pirates, as some of our previous episodes might have told you. And yet... Have we, have we covered anybody that, that took the letter? I mean, we had a couple of privateers, but that's different. Yeah, that's different. Because that kind, you, you just kind of retire. The closest I think we've ever come was Woods Rogers, who was giving it out. Yeah. Because he, he had already hung up his spurs. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, if you we were going to take it, and yeah. then yeah, things like, went sideways. It's kind of how things work for Blackbeard. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll take it, and then decided to just not do that. Yeah. Now, we've made mention of some people who ended up getting out of piracy alive. People Probably. like Benjamin Hornigold yeah. and, and others. Uh, yeah, I don't think we've ever yeah. covered somebody who actually takes the letter. Yeah. Fascinating. Yet, for as powerful and prolific as she was, this is only a single episode. As frustratingly little is known about her, at least in the material that we were able to access, because you may be sur- surprised to find that we four white boys know practically no Mandarin, and so we're limited to sources in English or ones that we can easily translate. I can't apologize enough for Rob's shortcomings here. Uh, he has taken the lead as the research here. Uh, we took an extra week, and he didn't use that extra week to learn Mandarin. And I I tried, but I learned Cantonese instead. That it, was my bad. It happens. Mm. It happens. See, at least Kyle put the hours in. Duolingo is like four blocks from your house. I, You could have just gone there. I mean, I, I think if you go to the taco shop, you just <laughs> learn something now. <laughs> just, I forgot that they had tacos. They do. There. Apparently, it's yeah. good, actually. It better be fucking good. Stand there Otherwise, that's on. a bad look, dude. Just standing there banging on the front door of Duolingo yelling, teach me Mandarin. So, nevertheless, we shall soldier on and attempt to tell as best we can the story of the most powerful woman to ever walk the pirate path. I'd also like to note that this episode came by request of a couple close supporters of our podcast. Uh, the first is none other than the mighty Deb of famed parenting duo Deb Deb and the Burn. The Burn! A.K.A. Uh, my mother, Deborah. So, uh, Mom, this goes out to you, and this is also from the suggestion of your lovely girlfriend, Casey. It, that she's been pushing this for uh, for years now at this yeah, point. pretty much since you two started dating and she knew you did a podcast that involved pirates. I also have to give... Uh, and yet the- she knows about it and is still dating you. That's a win. Oh, man. <laughs> did you tell her the podcast about, like, a different thing? It's about, like, cool stuff? Like, what are you talking about? Oh, I told her I was trading stocks while I do this. But it's about stand-up <laughs> comedy and, and MMA. Sports and crypto. <laughs> stand-up comedy and, and, and mixed martial arts. I told oh. her it's, it's stonks only go up. We just talked about cancel culture all the time. Cancel culture. <laughs> uh, I do have to tip the cap to our dear Vicky. Yes. Um, not that this idea was Vicky's. She didn't give us this, this particular... Um, subject but she does constantly yell at us for, for not, not putting nearly enough women in the podcast yeah. so vicky this one's also for you so with this and with uh i think a couple of our our uh subjects to come in the near future we're gonna do our best to kind of level that playing field so i also like i, I do want to come Jay. i want to come to the defense of men here it turns out we are more prolific assholes than women so we're gonna need these ladies this to really true. step it up and get way shittier <laughs> i mean <laughs> Oh, there's some people in American politics right now trying real hard to get on that list. Yeah, but we haven't gotten to the hilarious end to some of these stories. That is true. So, uh, before we go on with the story, of course, we want to give honor to our sources. Uh, so, for the sources today, we use two works by author Diane Murray. 
Uh, the first is Pirates of the South China Coast, 1790 to 1810, which is a period that pretty nicely ensconces our story. And One Woman's Rise to Power, Zheng Yi Sao and the Pirates from the historical uh, from the journal Historical Reflections. Uh, we also have uh, the one work on Madame Ching that was written in Mandarin that I could find a translation for, which is A History of Chinese Pirates by Guangnong Zheng. So, a uh, Chinese author, but I found an English translation. Very, very helpful to this story. Anything else, gentlemen? Any points of order before we proceed? No, I think I'm good on that one. I think we can just we can just have a go. Have a go, we shall. So, China at the turn of the 19th century was a nation that existed in two different states at the same time. One of flux, the other of tradition and stability. Since 1644, China had been under the rulership of the Qing Dynasty, which would stay in place until 1912, and after some of the usual civil war and strife that came with a succession crisis, a continuance of leadership and peaceful transfer of power from emperor to emperor throughout the dynastic succession had managed to stave off such events for about a century and a half. China was, all told, doing all right. It was by land area the fourth largest empire in the world, behind Great Britain, Russia, and Spain. And however, Russia had the most land, but pretty much fuck all anyone living on most of that land. Spain's massive empire in the Americas, built on massive treasure extraction and the slave trade, was waning due to rulership struggles back home in Europe, and would be split apart over the next few decades by independent struggles that would see the birth of over a dozen new nations. Britain, well, we know how that ends up going. But, for only being the fourth largest, China, by leaps and bounds, had the largest population of any nation on Earth, at an estimated 420 million people in the year 1800. Economically, it had experienced its ups and downs in the decades previous to our story, as every nation does, but trade had generally been stable, and things continued on as they had in China for centuries. It had some lands outside what are the traditional borders of China, thanks to some exercises in territorial expansion that took on other kingdoms and empires in the region, particularly in Southeast Asia, and what's now places like Vietnam, Thailand, and Cambodia. It had control over what's now the Russian-administered Sakhalin Island, and had territorial designs on the Korean Peninsula and parts of Nepal, northern India, and Mongolia. Now, China, in 1800, <coughs> didn't really look all that different from China in times before. Well, it would be pretty easy to look at Europe in, eight, in 1400 and Europe in 1800 and see a marked difference in the way people talked and the way people dressed and the technologies they used. In China, the centuries hadn't changed things very much except for a few technological advances. There was still a rigid caste system in place, although one could advance through their own merits so long as they learned the rigid social protocols that came with it. And uh, China, most of all, was a major trading power, particularly in the realm of maritime trade. They did not mess around when it came to making money and sending goods around the world. The European powers in the Americas had a huge appetite for Chinese silk, porcelain, tea, dyes, spices, crops, timber, and all sorts of other goods. And the first iPhone. <laughs> if, it, honestly, if you bought it in Shanghai, possibly a <laughs> knockoff. Now, not only... <laughs> now, not only were Chinese ports open to foreign traders, their own ships had continued the legacy of 15th century Admiral Zheng He and his treasure fleet of enormous trading junks, and Chinese trading vessels crisscrossed the Pacific and Indian Oceans, often sailing as far as the East African coast, the Arabian Peninsula, and the islands of Micronesia, and they did it with their tried-and-true maritime workhorse, the junk. With its squared-off superstructure, strong interior bulkheads, battened sails, and chunky outline, the junk was highly recognizable, and still is today. And it came in a variety of sizes, from river junks barely bigger than a four-door sedan, 
to the massive treasure fleet junks that would dwarf even Horatio Nelson's ships of the line. The thing that is fascinating to me about the, the junk is that these first showed up in roughly, like, what, the late 1400s? Maybe the... Oh, even before that. But, like, to... Late like 1200s. The, the shape to yeah. see, like, what we would recognize them as today, they still exist in roughly the same form. They're still manufacturing yeah. these. They're still building them out of wood at these old these old shipyards. But I mean, they the, showed up at about the same time the Europeans stopped, went from long ships into, like, cogs and hulks, like the big Yeah, it would have been about kinda. that point it, until they started putting wheels on them. Like, yeah. <laughs> until they until the Europeans got rid of tillers, pretty much. But the fascinating thing about the junk is the the design of it is so it's so right that from a river junk to the like the treasure galleons, they just scale it up pretty much. Yeah, they look almost identical, just way bigger. And uh, if you're unfamiliar, they're the kind of U shaped. Mm-hmm. If if our folks at home don't have quite the high four high ass same mm-hmm. same maritime square off here, but for some reason they are so damn seaworthy. Mm-hmm. It looks like it just wants to tip over all the time, and they don't. Mm-hmm. They, they don't. They're, they're but they work in all sorts of use of space. They work in all sorts of environments for all sorts of jobs. I mean, it's a it's a Swiss Army knife of a ship design. Mm-hmm. It's ingenious. It's not particularly great at anything, but it's yeah. very good at just about everything. Yep, jack of all trades. So junks, as I said, were incredibly seaworthy and performed their work in a variety of conditions and environments, and some were still seen sailing into San Francisco Harbor on cross-Pacific trading voyages well into the 1930s. Now, most of them were relatively small vessels, not much bigger than your average Bermuda sloop, but they could be light, highly maneuverable, and fairly cheap to build. If they were armed, it was usually with a small number of cannons, and while they were generally unable to square up to Western warships one-on-one, Junks would operate in large groups, and if a couple were shot to pieces by their enemy, it didn't matter in the large scheme, because a dozen more would take the enemy vessel apart in an all-angles raking crossfire. Now, this made a useful vessel for the Chinese Navy of the time, but it also made a useful armed vessel for the pirate. And China, at the beginning of the 1800s, had a hell of a pirate problem, which we'll get to shortly. But that wasn't China's only problem. She had, a military, she had military competition in the form of Japan right across the East China Sea, who, despite their isolation under the Togakawa shogunate, were still trying to muscle in on territory in the region. But there were also more and more encroachment from the European powers. More and more white faces were seen in China's cities, and Western trading posts were popping up all over the place. More European and American trading vessels were making their way into Chinese ports as the demand for Chinese goods continued to grow, and more warships from these same powers began to traverse and prowl the waters around the Chinese Empire, although this admittedly had to do more with the competition between other Western powers than it did with challenging the Chinese state. But it was clear that the West was willing to use force to back up their colonial and trade interests, and those interests were creeping closer to Chinese territory. The previous couple of centuries had seen the British establish control over significant parts of India and establish their colonies in Australia and New Zealand. The Dutch had come to control a large part of Indonesia. The Spanish had been in control of the Philippines for two and a half centuries. The French hadn't quite made it into the region yet, but they were gaining control of some Pacific islands and had designs on territory in Southeast Asia. Now, the Russians were building bases and ships to reinforce their newly formed Pacific fleet, and the Portuguese actually had established a trading colony in Macau on Chinese territory all the way back in 1557, which was still going strong by 1800 under lease from the Qing government. And it would actually stay in Portuguese hands until, gentlemen? I actually don't know. 1999. Wow. Now it seemed, yeah. Well, I mean, Hong Kong belong, stayed in British hands until 1997. Seven. Or yeah. seven. 
Now, it seemed like every year, more Western ships were plying Chinese waters and more junks were acquiring more goods from ports from Phuket to Bahrain. This presented an opportunity for those who were willing to step outside the bounds of the law to acquire all of these goods. And it was into this world that Shi Yang was born sometime in 1775 to a poor family near what's now the city of Jiangmen in Guangdong province, along the southern coast of China, along the area where Hong Kong now sits, on the northern edge of the South China Sea. Now, Guangdong had traditionally been the beating heart of China's maritime economy as the sea, as the sea gateway to all the trade routes to Southeast Asia and the Indian Ocean and beyond. This is reflected in Shi Yang's upbringing, as it is believed she was a member of the Tonka, or the Chinese boat people, who populated these stretches of coastline. Now, the Tonka, who are still around today, are a subset of Chinese society who, instead of being a culture that supports maritime activity, are an entire maritime society, living on the coast on various vessels and floating structures, running the gamut from houseboats to living and raising families aboard the junks they used to conduct trade. Entire Tonka communities existed on the water, and everything from the temples to the shops to the sex trade was afloat. And it's believed that Shi Yang was born into a family that ran a floating brothel, known in Tonka culture as a flower boat. Mm -hmm. And it's likely that her youth was not a happy one. For as soon as she reached puberty, she was forced into sex work on the so-called flower boat to support her family. Now, we don't know many details from this period of her life either, but biographies written after the fact tell that despite the gut-wrenching tragedy of her situation, and it is fucking tragic, she managed to make a real impact in her trade. She had a reputation for great beauty, poise, wit, and hospitality, and managed to acquire a series of regular patrons who were among the higher ranks of the local government and mercantile community. Now, it's said that she eventually became the madam of the same flower boat on which she was forced into the trade, although other sources have her working as a procurer of sex workers for all of the flower boats in the area, earning her living doing the same thing that was done to her. She definitely uh, quickly realized that she had access to a, a very high caliber of individual and mm -hmm. seemed to really weaponize that information to make her awful situation slightly less horrific and to ideally get out of that situation. And it meant that she was going to be developing a skill set, mm -hmm. communication, diplomacy, hospitality, that would play very strongly into what she was able to accomplish later in life. Now, eventually in 1801, at the age of 26, she met a captain named Zheng Yi, also known to history as Jing Yi. Ten years older than her, Zheng Yi was not a merchant captain, but instead, he was the leader of a band of pirates. It's hard to call it a band of pirates. <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being coy about it. Uh, descended from a long line of pirates, Zheng Yi was not normally based in Guangdong province, nor was he even normally sailing out of Chinese territory. Instead, Zhang Yi was part of a larger group of pirates who were supported, sheltered, and in some case financed by two Vietnamese ruling dynasties. Mm -hmm. Now first, the ruling Taesan dynasty supported pirate operations against the Chinese as they saw this as a means of weakening an empire that had significant aspirations towards acquiring much of their northern territory. Then, as the century turned, there was a succession crisis followed by a civil war, and as the Nguyen Nguyen dynasty took over, it became clear that they had a much more contentious relationship with the pirates sheltering in places like Haiphong and Cameron Bay. All this presented to Zhang Yi and his fellows were more targets. Now, as Shi Yang, who after her marriage to Zhang Yi became known as Zhang Yi Sao, or wife of Zhang Yi, and also uh, took the name Qing Shi as a sort of portmanteau equivalent of a wife taking her husband's last name, and as soon as she entered married life, she became aware of just how much power her new husband was able to exert. Now, first, there was meeting the family, so to speak. 
Zheng Ye had an adopt Zheng Ye had an adopted son, an 18-year-old boy named, depending on the source, either Zheng Bao or Zheng Po. And when we say adopted son, we mean a kid who was kidnapped from a fishing boat in 1798 at the age of 15 as to essentially be pressed into service aboard Zheng Yi's ship, although it seems that he took a liking to his young captive and welcomed him into the family. Along with the wedding came something of a contract. It seemed as though Madame Ching ended up needing a little more convincing to abandon a life of influence and comfort to take up with someone who might take her to sea for long stretches and send her on the run from any number of navies. So it seemed as though Madame Ching negotiated a contract wherein she would receive a 50% stake in her husband's pirate operations, and even early on in their marriage, these operations were significant. I mean, just pause on that. 50. Not 5. Let's get that prenup. Yeah. That's an incredible power 50, 50 move at split. the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely out, unheard of. <laughs> turns out the Chinese pirate community is a no-fault state. Yeah. So, information is less than exact, but it seems that by 1801, Zheng Yi was already in command of a band of pirates that included over a thousand men and dozens of vessels, anywhere from 25 to 45 in total. Now, this is already pretty impressive, considering at the height of his power, Blackbeard had a grand total of, what, four vessels and 300 men? Yeah. So, but Zheng Yi's fleet was part of a much larger alliance of pirates, one group out of possibly more than a dozen of equivalent size, Mm -hmm. comprising hundreds of vessels and tens of thousands of men. Now, they were sheltered in various anchorages across thousands of miles of coastline, but to these people, the sea's not a barrier, it's a highway. They're in constant communication with each other, and much like the pirates of the Republic of Nassau, they were happy from time to time to team up, combine their forces, and launch large raids or to defend themselves against naval encroachment. Now, in her personal life, Madame Ching sent about the usual activity of bearing children, eventually producing a pair of, z- of sons named Zhe Yi Shi, born in 1803, and Zheng Xiong Shi, born in 1807. However, it soon became clear that Madame Ching was destined to be much more than a doting mother and a pirate housewife. Ship wife? Junk wife? Junk wife. Junk, junk wife. wife. Yes, it's junk wife. Anyhow, uh, the turning point started in 1802, after only a year of marriage, when the Nguyen dynasty completed their takeover of Vietnam and immediately turned their forces against the pirate bases on their coastline. They killed Zheng Yi's cousin, Zheng Qi, although most of his large fleet of ships escaped and rallied at Zheng Yi's anchorage, rattled but still with a will to fight and to get revenge on an insult that Zheng Yi wouldn't soon forget. Now, it was the, the previous Vietnamese dynasty were the ones that used them as privates here. The Taesan right? dynasty, yeah. correct. Mm-hmm. And actually, the Nguyen dynasty did for a little while as well, because during the course of this civil war, they both made use of the pirates, mm-hmm. eventually against each other. And then it was, it's, it's actually very Game of Thrones of, hey, thanks for the help in our war. Now we have to kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Zheng Yi had a big opportunity, but an even bigger problem. His fleet had almost tripled in size, making him the single biggest pirate commander in the South China Sea. But suddenly tripling your force comes with some administration and management issues. Now, Zheng Yi wasn't a bad leader or a bad manager. He just wasn't quite prepared for what fell into his lap. Plus, he already plus he also knew that suddenly becoming the big swinging dick of Chinese piracy also made him a target for other pirate fleets and for the Chinese Navy. He had to get some good help, but none of his lieutenants were up to the immediate challenge either. However, someone was, and not long ago, this savior of his piracy operation had told him, I do. It became almost immediately clear that Madame Ching was a very capable administrator, organizer, and diplomat. She had the skills, charm, and hospitality necessary to organize relevant information, make good decisions, and bring people along with her plans, and so she and her husband teamed up and combined their skills, now as dual leaders, 
in order to get the most out of their newfound power. They truly operated as a partnership. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. It was incredibly progressive, their ideas. Yeah. Well, I mean, much as the what the things you see in the Pirate Republic of Nassau, or even in pirate culture in general during the Golden Age, really stands out as being much more progressive than the environment from which it sprung, it's the same kind of context here. Mm-hmm. It's this it's this bucking of the trend of you go from Chinese society, which is incredibly patriarchal, to complete equanimity. You don't yeah. see that often. And so this couple, or more specifically, Madame Ching She, would take this opportunity to legendary heights, which we'll discuss after we take a short break. Tired of listening to whiskey tubers talk about whiskeys you'll never see? Want to hear reviews about whiskeys you can actually afford? How about something you can truly find on the shelf? Are you looking for honest, unbiased feedback about the whiskeys in your budget? Then join us on YouTube at Thrifty Whiskey. Here at Thrifty Whiskey, we do blind tastings of whiskeys that are $30 and under. Bourbon. Scotch. Irish. Indian. And even Canadian. So catch us at Thrifty Whiskey. And until then, may the winds of fortune sail you. May you sail a gentle sea. May it always be the other guy who says, This drink's on me. Welcome back. Now, the first concern of Madame Ching's new tenure as pirate leader would come in the form of infighting after the change in leadership back in the pirate haven of Vietnam that had caused chaos on the South China Sea. Conflict between the various Chinese pirate fleets was endemic and had been for centuries, so it was clear to both Madame Ching and her husband that people were going to come for them. But as they say, if you come for the queen, you better not miss. <laughs> Madame Ching... All right, an Omar reference. Let's go. Now, Madame Ching decided to make it so that anyone who, knew, who came for them wouldn't have the opportunity to do anything but miss. She knew she had to work fast, so she immediately set sail to meet with the leaders of other pirate squadrons who were more positively disposed towards Zheng Yi... And she used her skills as a negotiator, diplomat, and hostess to arrange agreements to bring them alongside and operate under her uh, under her husband's leadership. Now, she ended up getting enough allies to rally to Zheng Yi's standards so that when the challengers did arrive, they ended up being completely unable to overcome his, overgrowing, his ever-growing numbers and were either annihilated in battle or ended up saying, You know what? I think I may have misjudged that. I'm sorry, my bad, mea culpa, can we start over? Now, it turns out that when you that after you wipe out your first couple challengers, the rest are a little less likely to want to challenge you. And so, thanks to a combination of force and diplomacy, within two more years, the piratical duo had managed to bring every significant pirate band operating off of China or Southeast Asia under their banner. Now, in the meantime, the Nguyen dynasty in Vietnam had thought themselves free of their pirate problem, as they seemed to be fighting themselves. But while they thought themselves safe, Zheng Yi and Madame Ching She had hatched a plan. For a whole year, none of their ships were permitted, under pain of execution, to attack any Chinese vessel. The lack of pirate attacks meant that the Eye of Sauron that was the Imperial Navy's attention was off of the pirates and onto other matters. This meant that the pirate squadrons essentially remained free and unmolested to anchor in Chinese bays, inlets, and rivers while they reorganized and built up their strength. At the beginning of 1804, the new pirate monarchs of the South China Sea struck out for revenge. Sailing forth with what sources say were as many as 400 ships carrying anywhere from 40 to 60,000 pirates, the couple ordered an all-out attack on the Nguyen dynasty. 
For several weeks, Pirate Junks disgorged men to take merchant vessels, attack and destroy isolated naval units, and send ashore massive raiding parties to conduct huge violent sweeps through the land, taking whatever loot they could carry and killing and burning as they went in a form of chevauchee from the sea. Now, for several more months, they blockaded every port the Vietnamese kingdom held, choking off trade and completely devastating their maritime economy. Thousands were killed, thousands more taken captive and held for ransom, and hundreds of thousands of tons of goods were seized. Reeling from this literal pirate invasion, the Nguyen Emperor signed an armistice and a non-aggression pact that promised to take no further military action against the pirates and to open up their Vietnamese anchorages again. Now, by the time 1805 rolled around, with the western edge of the South China Sea pacified, Madame Ching and Zheng Yi had an opportunity. With their spoils from the attack on Vietnam, sources say that the pirates now had as many as 800 vessels in their possession. Although this is difficult to prove, as there are no ship registers or naval rolls that give any specifics. I just, I, I just love... They did what Blackbeard did to Charleston... To the entire, to an entire kingdom country. of Vietnam. Correct. To an entire country. And did it better. Yeah. Well, they, they also did it with, you know, an X factor of what? Like over 100 70, times as many ships. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 75,000 more men. <laughs> yeah. they, had a, they had a navy. Correct. I, mean, how did, I don't know if you have any clue of this, but like in terms of size, like how does this compare to like the navy of China? Let me put it this way. If you have 800 ships, you have the same number of ships that the Royal Navy had at the height of the Napoleonic War worldwide. Now, are they the same size as Nelson's ships of the line? No. But we're comparing all the pirates, all the pirates, a non-state actor in one geograph- small geographic area, relatively speaking, compared to the most powerful navy in the world. Same number. Was this, I mean, this had to have been one of the biggest private armies the world's ever seen, at least mm. in an age where like nation states are the predominant. In terms force. of the sea, biggest ever. Maybe not on land, maybe not on land, but at sea, definitely the biggest ever. I'm fairly sure. Chris, you are going to double check that. I'm on it. Cool. Now, the Chinese military was taking the considered strategic approach towards these pirates of not my problem, and any Western military vessels likely to be patrolling the area were far more concerned about each other than they were about the pirates, considering the big struggle between Napoleon and his enemies happening across the world. So, with heavily laden East Indiamen and vulnerable junk still crisscrossing the local waters without escort, it was time to go to work against the Chinese in earnest. Now, before that started, however, there was a bit more organizing to do. Now, it's impossible for a fleet this size to operate as one body. There's just too many ships, and so a system of subdivision was needed. A conference was held with the leaders of all the pirate groups, and a system was agreed upon wherein the leaders would sacrifice some of their autonomy in return for a greater chance of success against their enemies. The massive fleet was divided into six smaller fleets, each named after the color of their banner. So you have the Red Fleet, which belonged directly to Madame Ching and Zheng Yi, and was by far the largest, along with the Black, Blue, White, Yellow, and Purple Fleets. Now, each fleet was subdivided further into several squadrons, and beyond that, individual fleet commanders were permitted to subdivide these squadrons further into flotillas, if they saw fit. An oath of fealty was sworn to obey Madame Ching and Zheng Yi's commands, and the wording that carries down to this day has both of them named in the oath, (laughs) so it appears they commanded as equals, rather than Zheng Yi being the face, while his wife was the brains behind the scenes. (laughs) 
It does appear that it was agreed that Zheng Yi would be the one to give all the orders in battle, however, and Madame Ching would not be involved in that decision-making, and it appears that she didn't really seem to take any issue with this decision. Although it can't be directly attributed to Madame Ching herself, it seems as though a code of conduct for the pirates was agreed upon during this period, although two different versions emerged to us from history. Now, the first has only three points. One, if any pirate goes privately on shore, he shall be taken, his ears mutilated, he will be paraded around the fleet and executed. Two, not the least thing shall be taken privately from the stolen and plundered goods, all shall be registered. The pirate receives for himself out of ten parts only two, eight parts belonging to the storehouse called the general fund. Those who steal anything out of this general fund shall be executed. And number three, women captured from villages shall not be harmed or harassed. All women captives shall be registered, their place of origin recorded, and be given separate quarters. Those who rape or commit adultery with these women captives shall be executed. Now, the other version has more points, but it reads similarly. 1. Anyone caught giving commands of their own or disobeying a command from a superior is to be immediately decapitated. 2. Pilfering from the common treasury or public fund and stealing from villagers who supply our ships shall be capital offenses. 3. No pirate may retain any goods before inspection. Four, goods must be registered and then distributed by the squadron, flotilla, or fleet leader. Number five, 20% of the booty is to be returned to the original captor and the remainder placed in a joint treasury or storehouse. And six, currency is to be handed over to the fleet, squadron, or flotilla leader. The above part will be turned over to the fleet, the remaining part back to the captor. So everything you, everything you plunder... You take a 20% share, 80% goes back into the fleet. Mm -hmm. Pretty universal. Now, in 1805 and 1806, the pirates launched a series of cruises into not just the South China Sea, but into the East China Sea, the Indian Ocean, the Sea of Japan, the Yellow Sea, and large parts of the Pacific, where over the course of many months, thousands of vessels were raided, taken, or burned from small trading junks to massive East Indiamen from England or the Netherlands, and even a couple small Portuguese warships were, were ambushed and taken. <laughs> now, the Chinese state took a long time to respond to these events immediately off their shores, and the military reaction was practically non-existent. For over two years, the pirates had pretty much free reign over the area, so much so that European trade vessels began to form convoys, and navies had to assign precious warships from, these theater from other theaters to escort these vulnerable ships in and out of the area. Then, on the 16th of November, 1807, tragedy struck. Sailing through a gale on his flagship, Zheng Yi, Madame Ching's husband and co-commander, was struck by a wave, washed overboard, and drowned at the age of 42. Madame Ching didn't waste time with grief, instead making sure that the command granted to the pair passed on to her alone, and it seems like there was little to no resistance to this. The pirates were riding high, times were good, and she'd helped bring them about, so it seemed that she was all good in their eyes. Now, command of the Red Fleet passed to her adopted son, Shang Bao, and both the young man and his adopted mother soon entered into an open sexual relationship, although they may have already been sleeping together before Zheng Yi's death, and soon they announced that they had gotten married. So, yay, congratulations to the happy, is couple the word I'm looking for? I mean, at least the word adopted's in there. I mean, they're not blood relatives, but like... I mean, it's, it's real gross. It's a very popular subsection on a lot of uh, <laughs> adult websites. You think she ever got, you think she ever got stuck in the, uh, in, the, in the ship's washing machine? Oh, God. <laughs> I, help me, step captain. 
I'm stuck in the rigging again. Oh no, what are you doing? Oh god. Uh, to answer your question, Kyle, um, it's difficult to see what was the largest like private army or private navy. It seems like the only thing that even comes close uh, is the East India Trading Company. Oh, um, yeah, that makes sense. Probably. 67,000 troops. Uh, the amount of ships is unclear. And it's only because nobody can agree over like what is what, what constitutes like what? private. Yeah, yeah, um, that makes sense. It's, it's, there are a lot of private security companies. Uh, there is one G4S Secure Solutions, six hundred thousand individuals. Oh, that's mm. comforting. Yeah, it's the third largest privately owned company of any kind in the world, and the largest in Europe and Africa. So, depending on how you want to shuffle things around, it's either the eighth to the twenty-fifth largest. Uh, army in the world. Cool. Cool. That's comforting. <laughs> so, uh, another half a year of easy raiding followed Zheng Yi's death, although the prizes were getting a little more sparse as so many ships had been taken by the pirates that a new policy was enacted that the goods were to be seized, but not the vessels nor the crews, so as to make sure that there were ships for them to plunder in the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, this, I, I'm not kidding. <laughs> This it's is, like the game commission in a in a in a overfished pond. Yeah, right. it's this is the difference between pandemic and endemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked about the different strains of the of the plague. Yeah. The one that burned itself out the most quickly was yeah. the one that that killed its host. Yeah, yep. this is bubonic yep. versus septicemic. You yep. need a host. Mm-hmm. They had to learn not to liquefy the insides of their opposition. Yeah, God, that was an unpleasant episode. <sighs> now, as the yeah, it made the. Uh, the giant islands of shit in the harbor sure did. in the previous episode just sound absolutely fun by comparison. Anyway, as the second half of 1808 came about, though, the Chinese Navy was starting to get its act together, and battle fleets started to sail out to take on the pirates and restore order at sea. This did not go well. Uh, a fleet of 35 naval vessels was ambushed and annihilated by the pirates off of the Pearl River estuary, and the commander of this fleet, along with many survivors from his crews, just joined up with the pirates. Now, Chinese naval spending went up tenfold, and emergency programs for shipbuilding and the casting of cannons were initiated to address this this threat. So what I'm hearing is the pirates are actually a prolonged false flag operation to get the military-industrial operation going. They're they're job creators, Kyle. They turned all the carp gay. (laughs) Now, another fleet of equivalent size to the first was also annihilated a month later, and and with these two victories, the size of the provincial Chinese fleet had been cut in half. Now, this allowed the pirates to start launching raids up China's rivers, attacking and burning settlements and stealing loot and provisions, many of which actually were meant for the new naval building program. However, China is massive, and the pirates couldn't be everywhere at once, and as 1809 dawned, new ships, crewed by a naval draft, began to sail forth to take on the pirates. At one point, in March of 1809, Zhang Bao found himself isolated with a squadron of 10 ships under pursuit by over 100 navy vessels. However, Madame, Chung, Madame Ching sailed to her new son husband's rescue with the White Fleet and the her rest of the Wet Fleet. Husband. Oh, God. And surrounded them, blocking the Chinese naval fleet from escape and badly mauling them before the remainder were able to retreat. However, a blow was struck in July of 1809 as the White Fleet was surrounded and destroyed on July 21st, my birthday, by a naval force of Happy over. Happy birthday, Rob. Thank you. By over, White fleet. by over 320 uh, Chinese naval ships. Although Zhang Bao managed to attack many of the stragglers after the battle and sink over 40 of them in a measure of revenge. Hmm. 
Now, Madame Ching continued the revenge for the White Fleet, and in August of 1809, she launched a massive coordinated raid against three coastal cities and up several river estuaries, landing thousands of pirates who spent weeks looting, burning, and in many cases, indiscriminately killing civilians. After six weeks, over 15,000 people had been killed, and another 5,000 had been kidnapped and taken into captivity. On September 27th, Madame Ching organized a raiding force of almost 500 ships, the most the pirates ever used on a single operation, and sailed them up the Pearl River to the provincial fleet's anchorage at the town of, and I'm not kidding here, Shiting, where they set about burning hundreds of the provincial fleet's ships and boats along with storehouses ashore. I'm Just surprised imagine. that didn't get a, a bigger reaction. I chuckled on the you. inside. I know you chuckled on the inside. Normally you guys chuckle on the outside like you're I fucking came across, you I came across that to. in the reading and knew that joke was coming. Yeah. So at this point, the Chinese government had enough and asked for assistance from another local force, the Portuguese, based at their colony of Macau. Now, the Portuguese agreed to deploy a naval force of frigates and brigs to assist the Chinese provincial fleet, and several engagements resulted in the pirates ending up on the back foot. Now, Madame Ching and Zhang Bao sailed into Tungcheng Bay in what's now Hong Kong, which was, and still is, known as the Tiger's Mouth, for its narrow channel. Soon, six Portuguese warships and some 90 Chinese naval vessels arrived to blockade them into the bay. They sent for help from the Black and the Blue Fleet, but no help came showing that the changing fortunes on the South China Sea meant that the loyalty of the massive pirate fleet to Madame Ching may have been starting to break down. Now, they couldn't break out. The few ships that could sail out of the channel at any one time would be absolutely cut to pieces by the cannon fire of almost 100 ships. So they sat tight, and a standoff began. Now, the Chinese admiral decided to break the stalemate by sending about 40 ships into the bay as fire ships, to ignite the trapped pirate fleet. Oh, this is amazing. But their maneuverable junks and experienced crews managed to avoid the flaming boats, steering most of them ashore to be cut up for firewood, or in some cases, grappling and snagging them and extinguishing them to be sent back the other way. Now, this became unnecessary because as the Chinese admiral sent in the last few fire ships into the channel, the wind shifted and these junks, full of combustibles, began to lurch back in the direction of the blockading fleet. Don't, don't just... The thousands of soldiers just... <laughs> yep. So two, two of the Chinese naval vessels were burnt to the waterline and the rest scattered, allowing Madame Ching and Zheng Bao to set scale and escape with their fleet in the chaos. Now, as 1809 became 1810, however, more engagements began to chip away at the pirate fleet's numbers, and it seemed like the tide was beginning to turn. It also needs to, like, whenever they, they made their break from the blockade, the one thing that I, I definitely gleaned from this, the provincial fleet lost three ships, 74 men. Her fleet, zero ships, 40 men. Incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. In a blockade that you lose, like, three ships is a lot of fucking ships, whatever we're talking about in Navy. And I don't care how big her fleet is. Three ships is a lot of fucking ships. She lost none. And they Mm -hmm. gained all that firewood. (laughs) But they never got to use it. Because as soon as they got it ashore and started chopping it up. (laughs) <laughs> the last few fire ships just went yeah, and just turned around. Turned around and sunk two of the other ones. And so as they scattered, I think Madame Jing went, we gotta go. Yeah, like, that's how to get you, out. You beat feet. Yep. So, yes, 1809 became 1810. More engagements began to chip away at the pirate fleet's numbers because it seemed as though the Portuguese had become an unstoppable naval juggernaut. Now, this wasn't really the case. The Portuguese never had that many ships in theater, but they were better trained. 
more heavily armed, more heavily crewed, and just able to win a sea fight. Mm-hmm. They always managed. They never managed to take out a huge number of Chinese ships at the same time. But every engagement they managed to win, even if it's small, chips away at the confidence of the Chinese pirates. And it seemed like the tide was starting to turn. So it was time for one last-ditch effort at diplomacy. Now, Madam Ching reached out to the Imperial Crown, expressing an interest in negotiating, and the Crown made overtures back indicating their interest in a negotiated settlement to end the pirate threat. Now, Macau's main Portuguese magistrate would act as a mediator, and the talks began on Zhang Bao's flagship in February of 1810. Now, Madame Ching brought it all, and laid it all on the table. Her charm, her intelligence, her skills as a negotiator, and her natural ability to get what she wanted out of men. But she also brought a big fat lie. Now, she announced that she had over 500 more ships than she actually did. It was a total bluff. But the the Chinese imperial uh, delegation, who had seen pirates seemingly everywhere over the last five years and seeing the damage they had inflicted in their mass-scale raids, bought the lie hook, line, and sinker. However, the demands that Madame Ching put to the crown, retaining 80 ships and 5,000 sailors in order to make their way into the salt trade, was a bridge too far. Which I think we gleaned over before, but she had already gotten herself into the salt trade by just deciding, these are my ships now, you now work for me, or I burn your ship to the water. Yep. Yep. Uh, hey, uh, can, you, can, you, can you let me keep all the salt ships so I can control the country's entire salt trade? All of the salt trade. All of the salt trade. This is at a time whenever salt has only recently stopped being more valuable than literally anything else in the plant. Yes. <laughs> like within... 100 years, 150 yeah. years. Uh, read the book Salt by Mark Kurlansky. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent historical book. Uh, just to find out how important salt was. And still is. It still is. Yeah. But I mean, like, salt salt as a resource destabilized continents for centuries. Yep. So, on April 17th, 1810, Madame Ching decided for one final Hail Mary, and she led a delegation of 17 women all wives of commanders within the pirate fleet, to the governor's residence at Guangzhou and set about a series of private one-on-one negotiations with the provincial governor, Bai Ling, who had permission to act as the emperor's proxy in these talks. Now, we don't know for sure what happened exactly in that room, but by the time she was done speaking her piece, Madame Ching had negotiated the peaceful surrender of the entire pirate fleet, along with pardons for everyone involved, imperial ranks and positions as naval auxiliaries for the fleet's commanders, along with gifts of wine, pork, and coin for every surrendered sailor. Now, Zhang Bao would become a full-fledged naval commander and would be allowed to keep a personal fleet of 30 ships in order to serve the interests of the crown, and all Portuguese claims to surrendered pirate property as reparations would be nullified. They made Zhang Bao a lieutenant. Yeah. That's a big deal. <laughs> and it, it really does say something about her character. I mean, she very easily could have gotten prime station and wealth for herself and her husband's son, but she got every one of her pirates' pardons right. and parting gifts. That's incredible. Yeah. Not only do you get to walk away and do literally whatever you want, like you can, you, you want to go, want to go be a merchant? Sure. You want to go be a pirate? Good luck. Yeah. But here, here's your money. Here's lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they fed him. Yeah, they gave him. They gave him all a side of pork to go home with. Right, <laughs> Musk wouldn't even do that for half the staff he just fired. <laughs> so, they get an all expense paid trip to his child emerald mine. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is yeah. that what happens when you get banned from Twitter now? You just that get ha- black bagged in the night and sent to Diamond Mind. So, well, if you turn down his help, you get called a pedophile. Yeah. Sorry, man, we don't need your weird submarine. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Now, I'm, now I'm not going to have a Twitter account anymore. Mm. You'll be fine. You have eight bucks. <laughs> So <laughs> I ain't paying for that shit. <laughs> I can't wait to see what the switcheroo is there. It's going to be very funny. Yeah. So, yeah, so the Portuguese reparation claims would be nullified, although in return, the former pirate commanders would agree to work with the Portuguese Navy as auxiliaries. Now, Zhang Bao and Madame Ching would also have their marriage officially recognized by the state. Hands Yay. were shaken, agreements were made, a toast was drunk, and on April 20th, 1810, Madame Ching Shu and Zhang Bao officially surrendered their entire personal fleet, comprising 226 armed vessels, 17,318 men, 1,315 cannons, and 3,798 additional firearms, along with 6,245 barrels of gunpowder. Now, both also received receipts for all the surrendered goods, and partial remuneration payments for the surrendered ships and arms. They walked away from this stinking rich. What what do you what happened in that do you think she nah nah I don't want to shame her. I no but also like the delegation that she went to negotiate with it was like a bunch of women and children. Mm-hmm. Like the, that's who she brought to negotiate. I think it was pull, put pull a, on the heartstrings. Right. I yeah. think it was put a kind face forward but remind them of how much of a headache I can still be and how much cheaper it's just going to be to just give me what I want, let us walk away. Everybody's happy. Right. And you might find yourself with a whole bunch of new sailors because yep. these guys all need a job. And yep. if, if you're nice to them, they'll probably come help you out. And as we know, they're really good at sailing and they're really good at stabbing. Yep. Now, not all the pirate fleet commanders surrendered, but by the end of the year, the blue fleet which had refused to accept the surrender settlement, was hunted down and annihilated in battle in a, by a fleet led by Madame Ching and Zhang Bao. Mm-hmm. After this, they went ashore and purchased their way into a variety of mercantile interests. Zhang Bao transferred his command to land and took over as the commander of the garrison at Pengu, and in 1813, Madame Ching gave birth to another son named Zhang Yulin. Now, they settled down to enjoy a comfortable life of some luxury and influence and became well-known members of local high society. In 1822, however, Zhang Bao died of an unspecified disease, although there are some competing claims as to whether he died on land or at sea. Either way, Madame Ching designed, decided to return to the coast, to Macau, where she brought in, where she bought the, a complete ownership stock in the local salt trade. And this time, no bullshit, no, no leveraging influence, nothing. She just bought it. And she opened up a successful gambling house, which helped to grow Macau's reputation as a place for games of chance and skill, and which is a reputation that still persists Today. to this day as the Las Vegas of Asia. No, I've seen Skyfall. Yeah. Now, it's said that her descendants still run gambling establishments in the city to this day. She would also fall back on something she knew from before, and she opened up a brothel in Macau alongside her casino. She never remarried, and she enjoyed a peaceful, wealthy retirement. So I have a thought about the brothel. Yeah. With with her involvement with with the policies against uh, forced servitude and sexual assault against women captives, do you think she ran it any differently than the standard houses of the time in terms of people coming on their own fruition? Or 
Do you think it was just as bad as every other one of the time period? That's an interesting question. I, I okay. So here's my thought. I think that sh- those policies were put in place not necessarily because of some high ideal. I think it was just to control the activities of forty to sixty thousand pirates. I mean, that's fair. Makes sense. It was three pretty standard commandments. I mean, because if we kind of go by the 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 story that she was running the brothel when she met that's true Zheng Yi, she was probably used to to making money off of the suffering of young women. That's fair. And their sexual servitude. I don't think she had an issue with that. I think she well, was Well, she just, went back to it by choice. She went back to it by choice. She was very successful at it. So in the golden age of sale, one in five women in any port town was a sex worker. Mm-hmm. 20% every woman in the golden age of sale were sex workers. 20%. Nowadays, it's just 20% having OnlyFans. Good for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, taxes are probably a little bit different, but yeah. By the way, if you're one of those people who's listening everybody. to this, going, "Why do I care? I don't know any sex workers." Yeah, you do. Yeah, you yeah, probably yeah, do. You, you probably pro- know a bunch, actually. You probably do. Yeah, you probably do. And if you see them, tip them and just keep scrolling. Yep. Times are tough. Pay for your porn, people. Yeah. Madam Qingxia never remarried, and enjoyed a peaceful, wealthy retirement. In late 1844, she died peacefully in bed, surrounded by her family. At the age of 69. Nice. Thank you. Now, Madam Ching had the sort of legacy you'd come to expect from such a legendary figure. She'd be portrayed directly and inspired, and it also inspired various characters in literature, both in Asia and here in the West, from novels to manga, and the same has gone for film, TV, and video games in places like China and Taiwan, but also in Western media on outlets like Doctor Who and the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Now, she's become a figure of importance in Asian feminist movements who have been fighting back, especially in places like China, that still place more value on boys and men than they do on women and girls, and against other strong patriarchal institutions. Now, she continues to fascinate more and more people who here in the West who are finding about her, her uh, excuse me, finding out about her exploits as we as a society have sought to learn more stories from outside the Western history bubble, and we here are doing our part to help with that shift. But what interests me most is the role that Madame Ching played in helping set up the world we see today. Now, through retiring from piracy and abandoning her leadership of, the red, of, of her Red Flag fleet, Madame Ching had, in essence, taken away any central leadership that the pirates had and negotiated their surrender, making them a military non-factor in the region. And what had been a massive cohesive body, splintered into various factions, that in some cases went back to fighting each other or abandoned piracy altogether, but this became much easier for the Chinese state to defeat the remainder piecemeal. Now, because of this, the power and influence of the pirates completely deteriorated, as did their ability to attack trading vessels and to stand up against organized military operations. As such, China drew down its own military spending to reduce costs now that the pirates were no longer a major threat, and this in turn allowed for the Western imperial powers to more easily insert themselves into Chinese affairs and use their own steadily growing military muscle and eventual technological edge in the form of steamships, explosive shells, and the like in order to militarily take on the Chinese state to impose their will in conflicts like the Opium Wars. Now, this led to the establishment and growth of colonies like British Hong Kong, German Tsingtao, and others, which meant that the European trade and influence would be the guiding factor in Chinese politics for the next century. Now, this all included events like the Boxer Rebellion, the rise in modern, uh, modernization of post-shogunate Japan, 
all the mess involving the Sino-Japanese War in World War II and the great tragedy that was the Maoist Revolution. Which leaves us with, as a direct result of the power that Madame Qingxia wielded and the eventual power vacuum she left, the modern Asia that we are dealing with today and all the troubles and opportunities for the globe that that poses. Now, it can be argued that no other single pirate had more to do with influencing global events directly or indirectly than Madame Ching should. And while that point can be debated, what cannot be debated is the impression that this powerful woman, this thalassic empress, this queen of the pirates, left upon her world. And that's our story. I really wish we had access to the type of nitty-gritty information that could have made this, like, a four-part series. She is such a fascinating character, and there's so little out there available, at well, least to English speakers like us. There's a ton of shit out there. The problem is it's a lot of it's hearsay. Mm. Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah. we ran into so much information that was, you know, one source would have it and multiple others wouldn't. Just... I, I was discussing this with you guys during the break. It's, this was actually a far more difficult research process than I anticipated. Not only because of the, 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 the blocks put up by the language barrier, but parsing what's bullshit from what's real. What do the sources have in common and where are they pulling that information from? If it's all coming from primary sources... You know, I'll note when they are saying different things about the same event, but, you know, basically, what are the things that everybody's saying that end up being common? Mm-hmm. It's There's conflicting reports of how these two met, of how, yeah. of how she met her how husband. Met, how they met their adopted son, right. what, what time period he was brought in, the their all relationship relation, yes. to even his father. The nature of rela- his relationship with Zhen Yi. Was this actually two people meeting, having a meet-cute, falling in love and getting married, or did he just abduct her? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, yeah, it depends on, on all... what source you go by. Yeah. I mean, I, I I was thinking about including that in the story, and I just didn't have any good material mm. to back it up. The only thing I could glean from the material that we know definitely happened is they met, they got married. Mm-hmm. That's all we can get. And so this one, I mean, it's... This is a deep, deep subject. Unfortunately, I don't speak any languages using the alphabet that most of the stuff is written in. Well, hopefully the fourth season of Our Flag Means Death will just be about this. We'll cover it. We can one. clarify everything. Mm. And then we can do a 30-minute a, a uh, revisit. I'm here for it. After Taika Watiti puts his mark on it. We'll let him handle it first. Yeah. <laughs> Take ourselves a break. So, gentlemen, any final thoughts before we wrap up for tonight about our subject matter? I think that she is absolutely fascinating and another maybe the most prolific character that we've talked about that people just don't know Mm -hmm. Uh, and a lot of that might be because like we said uh, a lot of the material is hearsay and conjecture but like she went from what 20 percent of women were doing to what only one person has ever done ever in a matter of by the age of 35 yeah and that that was just in a matter of years Uh, it was we're all don't do it. We're all 35 Don't do or it. more. And then her husband died. Where's your pirate fleet, Rob? Her husband died. Where's mine? And mine, are, mine are on my painting desk in miniature. <laughs> oh, God. And she decided, you know what? Now I'm going to burn down garrisons. Yep. And she did that for about a year. Completely free from consequence. Nobody did anything about they it. They couldn't because she was so good at burning down garrisons. These were military targets. Overwhelmed them with pirates, raised them, and then they fucked off. 
Think they weren't of, even taking shit. Mm. Think about the amount of influence you have where you can do that sort of thing to a major state actor like China. It's China. <laughs> it's like China. It's not... It, we're not talking and about And then a when small you finally approach country. them to, nego- to negotiate, they go, eh, yeah, sorry. All right. I mean, you are... That's a kingmaker level of influence when over the a army, country. The army and the navy are scared shitless of you. You have an entire... You have the largest empire on Earth in terms of population by the balls. Right. And it took, you know, it took a year to build up the fleet strength, and then she smashed it again. Yeah. Over and over and over again. She ruled the South China Sea for a decade. And it's in a fairly small geographical plot of land. It's smaller than what a lot of our Caribbean pirates were doing. Yeah. By, by a pretty good amount. Also, think of that in, a, in, a, in terms of scale. Because the very, very height of the golden age of piracy, 1718, let's say, before Woods Rogers comes in and fucks it all up, how many pirate vessels do you think are operating in the entire Caribbean? 50? Maybe. 50, maybe. Maybe 60? Mm-hmm. Possibly less. Possibly and, 35, 40? And most of them were very small. Most of them were very small. Mm-hmm. Well, most of her vessels were pretty small, too. Yeah, but she had way more. But it's not 800. <laughs> it's not 800. You put all of her vessels end to end, you can walk from Florida to fucking Cuba. Well, I mean, probably not. Could like, you imagine walking, you out, it. walking out your front door, walking down to the dock, looking at the mouth of the river and seeing 500 ships pulling into your town? I mean, that's, that's looking into a literal forest of masts. Yeah. What does that look like coming down a river estuary and you're the she, target? She put... An entire country to the sword. And nobody's ever heard of her. <laughs> and then retired as a respected figure in that right. country because they were so goddamn afraid of her. Well, yeah. They used she, her for military advice for the rest of her life. When she got the job, Thomas Jefferson was the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. This isn't that fucking long ago. No. no. When she died, John Tyler was the president of the United States. That's seven dudes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, when she died, Abraham Lincoln was an Illinois congressman. Right. Like, it. it it's... Yeah, this is not an ancient story. So, I, that's the thing, too. There's actually a theory among historians that because of her campaign against Viet... Her and Zheng Yi's campaign against Vietnam, that campaign of revenge, the Vietnamese economy never recovered. And I think that was the primary factor that set up Vietnam to fall into what became French Indochina. That opened that that weakness. They never economically recovered, and that left them open to French colonization. I forgot to include that in the breakdown of how she affected the modern world, but like, and that leads us to we're still dealing with the fallout of which leads us to the Vietnam War. Like, so we can directly thank her for just the protest rock of the late 1960s. John Rambo, Apocalypse Now. All he wanted was something to eat. This is the most true first. This is history's most powerful pirate. Oh, One without, of without question, yeah, and it's and it's incredible. a damn shame that we can't find more written about her. It's right. insane. Yeah, I mean, but without question, that's not hyperbole. No, I I think the paradigm is shifting. I think if we were to come back in ten years, there'd be a lot more written in English about Madam about Madam Ching. I certainly hope so. It definitely bears mention. Well, because it's also part of a growing trend of 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 Western historians looking way outside mm-hmm. the Western history bubble that I mentioned, and it's something that we're trying to do too. Um, we'll have a we'll have a that as as we, Chinese as I language seventeen. Episode Netflix 
prestige series in the next four years, I'm sure. Sweet. Let's go. I mean, thanks to our good friends at Duolingo. The, the, Duolingo. You better fucking do it every day. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, that little owl gets pissed. Jesus Christ. It's, it's like he always exercises the nuclear option. I tried to. I tried. It tried is a loose word to learn Japanese on that oh. thing, which was a choice. I hope that out did not like. I me. hope they don't turn it into one of those like six part Netflix series that they is like super hype and they managed to fit tits into. Yeah, it'd be horrible. Hey, listen. I thought the documentary series about pirates, but also boobs, was pretty fun. It was. It actually wasn't badly it done. It really wasn't bad. There it, was some gratuitous. What was it? Yeah. There was a pirate kingdom of uh, something or another. Or there was just, do you, do you guys remember the cultural phenomena of the movie just called Pirates? Or at least, <laughs> yes. It was just like a super high budget, like oh, that three documentary. hour porn. Yep. Uh, I watched that in a room with 31 theater students. I honestly, uh, it was not like an official this. thing. We did it at a party. But it, it showed at movie theaters. Rohal showed it. Yeah. But Rohas should, didn't exist then. Or, um, uh, not, what's the one in Scroll? Manor Theater. Manor, Manor Theater, yeah. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but, like, it showed at, at small, like, independent. It was insane. The I watched it with a big room full of people. Every money shot got a round of applause. Of course it did. It's expertly done. <laughs> it was. But, yeah, it was it was something. Also had absolutely fuck all to do with this story. And actually, considering that I. It was about pirates sh- making money, damn it. And oh. sex work. Yeah, um, you know what? I shouted out my mother at the beginning of this, so we're going to move on from this. I hope so. I'm not I hope okay she with just, it. She, uh, she's probably tuned out by this. Yeah, point. but uh, she so. always knows that at this point in the episode to just hang them up. Oh, speaking of god awful things to find on the internet, uh, Chris, where can they find us? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a delightful OnlyFans slash Thieves Rogues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can find us on our OnlyFans. Uh, no, OnlyFans slash Kyle and the Three Bears. Oh, no. Uh, if you want to find us online, you can drop us uh, an email at trrpod at gmail.com. That's if you have any anything you'd like to hear from us. Hashtag Keith Volhop hot J-O-I. Oh, no. Keith Volhop. Keith Volhop leather jacket. Vomiting. Keith Volhop football guys. Step, Keith, what are you doing? Oh, no. How did you get stuck in the washing machine? <laughs> Poor Keith. He's not even like... He's not even here to defend himself. <laughs> My brain is vomiting. Although we're probably going to be seeing Keith for a couple episodes coming forth to sub in for Mike until he's back. So, yeah. So, anyway, uh, feel free to drop us a line, trrpod at gmail.com. If you want to be like uh, like Deb in the barn and, and maybe bend our ears a little bit about a subject go ahead and hit us up there and, and Casey again, and Vicky J huge yeah. thank you for those who suggested this subject matter yeah, yeah it's pretty cool uh, you can follow us on Twitter until I get our account suspended for not paying $8 a month at podcast TRR did you change the handle to Elon Musk yet no no like, I'm just tired of the jokes already It. I hate dunking on the guy just because I just dislike him so intensely he just what did I say earlier he just wants to be good at posting He's not good at posting. He posts mm. a lot, but he can't post. It happens. Yeah, you, you, you can dance or you can't. It, I mean, I'm I'm not great at it. That's why yeah. I let you handle all of our internet stuff. I like posting. Yeah, we could hire a lot of people way better than us for forty four billion dollars. That's true. I don't think I won the Powerball either, which sucks. Yeah, we just have to figure oh. out how to acquire forty four billion dollars. But you can help us with the Patreon. Yeah, yeah. If you find us uh, at patreoncom slash trpod for as little as forty four billion dollars a month. <laughs> For, for as little as eight dollars a month, you can assure that we are verified on Twitter until the site, you know, crumples under the weight of ineptitude and inadequacy. Uh, or you can find us on. <laughs> fuck. 
Uh, Instagram, where I guess we're going to be relocating to, TR, at TRRPod. Or you can find us on Facebook at The Drugs and Renegades. I never thought we'd be running to Daddy Zuckerberg for help. What the fuck is going on? I yeah, hate seriously. this timeline. This I hate is, this timeline. Is, I, was it Harambe? Uh, something happened, have man. You know, what must happens when David Fincher makes a film about Musk? Because that took the wind out of Zuckerberg for a while there. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather right. see, like, I'm, Robert I'm just... Eggers make one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Ari Oster presents the Elon Musk story. There we go. Oh David Lynch. <sighs> so, uh, we're going to actually, uh, we're going to take a, 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 a tip from what uh, good old Vicky J told us. And I think we're going to keep the trend going with, uh, here's another one for the ladies. Coming up next time, we got the story of Queen Boudicca. Another woman who took on one of the world's mightiest empires. And it's going to be a hell of a story. Definitely a multi-part series. We're not sure how many yet, but we'll figure that out. Um, and I don't think I have anything else to add. I think we're... I don't either. Uh, in the interim, guys have a happy, safe Thanksgiving. Yes, right? absolutely. Will this be out before Thanksgiving? I don't know. Uh, that might actually drop after that. But I, Well, then I hope you had a great one. Yep. <laughs> Nothing but professionalism. I just have the word Step Keith. What are you doing running through my head now? I fucked myself on this. I, 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 well, I mean, or I hope you're not. This is a self-induced. This is a self-induced nightmare. I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm gonna go scrub my brain with steel wool. I'll see you, everybody. Uh, Hold fast. Bye.